If you have your Bibles, turn with me to three places. The first two are side by side in the Bible. Uh, the book of Ezekiel, and you'll be near the latter end of it as well, so that'll get you close to the next book. So Ezekiel 36, Daniel chapter 9, and our primary passage this morning, and has been and will be throughout the Prophecy series, the Olivet Discourse of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Ezekiel 36, Daniel 9, and Matthew 24. I told the 8.30 service, I have the unenviable task. Not only speaking about the end times, which is not easy, I don't, I don't like bad news any more than you do. But what the good news is, Jesus is still on the throne, amen? And he wins in the end, and he's already won. If you're on the winning side, he wants you to have joy in spite of what he tells us. Some of these things are not so easy to hear, but we still need to hear them. Uh, the other unenviable task is to fit in 3,500 years in a matter of 45 minutes. So wish me luck on that. Uh, we're doing the best we can. So I know there's no such thing as luck. So I got, I got that. So don't write me any emails about that. I know. It's just a phrase of speech. So, Ezekiel 36, and let's look at a couple of verses in that chapter and then in chapter 37. These are obviously related to the nation. Well, I should say obviously, if these pastors are new to you, they are related to the nation of Israel. Pick it up with verse 35. I wish I could read entire chapters, um, but we don't have that kind of time this morning. Verse 35 of chapter 36, so they will say this land was desolate. And it's become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. The nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and will do it. If you go to Israel today, you'll see that it is rebuilt. And parts of it look like the Garden of Eden. Chapter 37 is well known for the vision of the dry bones. And I don't have time to read the entire part of that either, but let's pick it up with verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. How do we know the bones are about Israel? It just said it right there, right? These bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry and our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord. I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you. You shall live, and I will place you in your own land. And you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. You know, just prior to May 19th, May of 1948, when Israel came back into the land, it wasn't but a couple of years earlier that and it, when the Allied forces liberated the death camps, and you literally had piles of bones. Piles of bones. And just a couple of years later, God breathed into the people, and they had a land again. He put them back in the land, exactly what he said. But when they got there, it was desert. It was swamp and desert. Mostly desert, a little bit of swamp, 
And matter of fact, many people considered that area to be worthless. Not today. Today it is flourishing. Today is alive. But God's not done. There's more he wants to do with the nation. He wants to do a work in the spirit of the nation, the hearts of the people. Turn over to Daniel chapter 9, our second passage. And again, uh, we're just kind of putting these together. Some of you remember, I asked the first service, how many remember the antiquated ancient projector? It was shaped like this, and the base was like this, and it had a light bulb thing in it, and if you had a clip, you could put a piece of paper on it, then you could put clear ones on top, and you actually could build the information. That's how we built it back in the day, kids. It wasn't on a computer. It wasn't PowerPoint. You just kind of like, here's the next clear one. You slay it on there, and you lay another one, and you could write on it with this kind of like grease pen looking thing, and you would build the information. Well, that's what these chapters are doing. We'll put each of them on top of each other. Ezekiel, Daniel, Matthew, we're doing the same thing. So take your mind back to the ancient days of projectors, and that's what we're doing. Daniel chapter, um, Daniel chapter 9 is the prophecy of the 70 weeks. And uh, I don't have time to read the entire thing here either, but let's pick up, let's understand a little bit of it. Uh, verse 25, there, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Because at that time, Jerusalem had not been restored. It had been decimated originally by the Babylonians until the Messiah, the Prince, capital Messiah, capital Prince, this is Jesus. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So 62 plus 7, 69. The street, the street shall be rebuilt again and the wall even troublesome times. After the 62 weeks which would come after the 7 plus the 62 weeks. So the 7 first, then the 62. Messiah shall be cut off. That is a reference to the crucifixion. But not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come, lowercase prince, a false prince, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall come with a flood till the end of the war of desolations are determined. Verse 27, then, she, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, and in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And uh, again, the week is a seven-year period. <clears throat> so you have seven sets of 70, or 70 years of seven-year periods, 70 times seven. And so he's telling us that there will be the Messiah cut off, but eventually there will be a false prince, a false messiah that will cut off the covenant or cut off the sacrifices in the middle of a seven-year period. So that's more of next week, but I'm just kind of we look at the context of it and this prophecy of the 70 weeks. Now, uh, turn just a couple pages over to chapter 12 in Daniel. And look at verse 9 of Daniel chapter 12. And he said, go your way, Daniel. This is all the way near the very end of the book's about to be wrapped up. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and refined. I hope that's all of us here. I hope we've all been purified and made white by the blood of Jesus. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. 
the wise shall understand. And then lastly, Matthew chapter 24, the words of Jesus himself, the very Messiah that Daniel prophesied about is now speaking of these things. As a matter of fact, um, when we get to next week, well, let's look at it in one second. Let's pick it up. We read verses 1 through 4 last week. Let's look at verse 4 through, thir- uh, through 14. And Jesus answered them and said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. There will be lowercase princes, false messiahs. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Not easy to not be troubled when there's war, huh? Jesus says, let me still you, let me settle you. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. And they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then... And only then, the end will come. Let's pray. Father, we see these passages. Some of them are easier to understand than others. So we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. If this is new information, Lord, I pray that you would speed up the process for each person, whether they're online or here, because we have less time to learn than we did when we walked into this room. But Lord, we know that you can do all things. We pray that you would speak to each person that which we need to learn, hear, ascertain, understand, and but Lord, ultimately apply it in our lives. I ask for your help. We need your help. Remove every distraction that we might hear from you, Jesus. Remove me once again from the equation that your word and your word alone may be magnified. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we looked last week at kind of the foundational uh, took it really kind of to lay the foundation of the purpose of biblical prophecy. It's prevalence we talked about. About one-fourth of your Bible is related to prophecy, things that were prophesied at the time to come to pass. We looked at its perfection, its record of perfection. Among them, just about Israel, that you can look up on the screen, so many things that the Bible said would happen Long before Israel was a nation, God said to Abraham, you're going to be a nation. A nation would come from his loins. And we saw the the future flourishing, the enslavement, the exodus, the promise and conquest, promised land and conquest, the apostasy and rebellion, the defeat, the destruction, the captivity, the dispersion, the returning, the rebuilding, and much more given to Abraham, given to Moses, given to Jeremiah, later to men like Daniel, men like Ezekiel, who we just read. Now, Daniel and Ezekiel, who we briefly mentioned last week, and we just read from both uh, those books this morning, they were contemporaries of one another. They lived at the same time in the Babylonian Empire. They're both part of the, the captivity. They were carried away into Babylon, where God rose, raised them up as prophets. But they both saw the future of nations outside of Israel as well. They, they focused a lot on Israel. God gave them a lot of prophecies about Israel, but also the nations outside of Israel, specifically those nations that were connected 
to Israel's journey, and there's a lot of them over the years, right? Moab and Egypt and Babylon and Persia. Uh, much of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. Some have not. Much have. We touched on a number of the prophecies related to Jesus, his promise of being the Messiah, told of in the law and in the prophets, fulfilled in Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And we pick up today with where we left off. We looked at the opening prophecies of Jesus in his Olivet Discourse related to that first visual cue that he said when they were looking at the temple, he said that temple that you're looking at, that magnificent wonder of the ancient world, will be utterly destroyed. And of course in A.D. 70, this painting I think was in 1850, um, but this, in A.D. 70, the Roman general Titus, who would later become Caesar, he would later become the emperor of Rome, he would succeed, uh, come after the other Caesars, um, he besieged Jerusalem, and it was crushed by Rome, and the temple was destroyed. They were chiseling the gold out and, and set the city on fire. Now, in concert, we also noted the prophetic warning right at the outset from Jesus that the rise of teachers and leaders that would employ Jesus' name to deceive others. And just like the fall of Jerusalem, the rise of apostasy also happens right there in the first century. It didn't take long for people to start misusing the name of Jesus. You ever notice people who like to use Jesus' name as a swear word? Total misuse of his name. Like, why don't you find another word to use? But there would be not just that. There would be literal religious institutions built on the name of Jesus. Some of them that have Jesus' name in them today, and today uh, don't even consider Jesus equal to God the Father. Created being. Now the temple being removed from the landscape and the notion of many people then adopting and leveraging the name of Jesus to deceive many would have seemed hard to fathom for the, the apostles. First of all, how could the temple be gone? And why would so many people misuse your name? But less than 40 years after Jesus gave that opening prophecy, the temple was indeed gone. Jerusalem's population was slaughtered, scattered among the Roman Empire. Many of them were sold into slavery. Some were actually torn apart by lions and wild beasts in the Colosseum and other um, venues. And apostasy quickly became a problem. Uh, this is not, this shouldn't surprise us. How long did it take Satan to twist the words of God? Right in the garden, right? God said this, let's put a twist on it. And it didn't take long for people to take the name of Jesus and say, what he really meant was this. What he really was about was this. He's not really divine, he's this. And all that started rather quickly. Jesus is saying, these are the initial signs. If these signs didn't take place, and they did, then we could say, well, then the other signs won't happen either. But the reality is, Jesus is saying, these will be the linchpin for you to know that the rest of the prophecy will also take place. These initial signs will usher in all the other signs. But the sign of deception False Christianity, false Christ, false prophets, that won't diminish. It'll actually be magnified and amplified as we get towards the end. You see the title this morning, if you're taking notes, 
be watchful. We're really focused this morning on this part two on being watchful. God told Daniel that when the end comes, and for sure it will, it may be in our lifetime, that the wise, what does he mean by the wise? Those made wise through salvation. You were not born wise. Smart and wise are not the same thing. Wisdom comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are made wise unto salvation, wise through salvation. But the wise would understand, and next week that will be our real focus, is just understanding the tribulation. Note John's insertion in verse 15. If you still have your Bibles open, Matthew 24. Uh, Jesus references Daniel. He says, Jesus references the 70 weeks. We'll look at it again this next week because, again, the priests, the, the gap period, and the 70th week are both in focus for us right now. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place. And then John puts this parenthetical uh, statement, whoever reads, let him understand. God wants us to be understanding here this morning. And what Jesus gives us in this discourse is clearly given that the disciples then and now could know what to look for, how to be watchful in spirit, aware, awake. And this is what we're doing here today. We want to be aware. We want to be awake this morning. I want to start off with the Olivet Discourse, even though we read it in reverse order because I wanted you to go through your Bibles at least the way you open them, start to finish. But we're going reverse order here. And we have the Olivet Discourse, and we'll actually go Olivet Discourse, Daniel, Ezekiel, as we kind of take it back. Starting with Jesus and his words, and by the way, you can find the Olivet Discourse also in the book of Luke and in Mark as well, and I have the chapters referenced up there. Next couple of weeks, just so you kind of understand from a timeline what we're focused on, uh, today is the church age, the last days, the last days of the church age. Next week will be the tribulation, and then the week after on 10-3, we'll be studying the rapture. We'll finish with the rapture because it's a, it's a doctrine that's not taught that much anymore in America, American churches, uh, but it's still in your Bibles, and so we want to be encouraged by it. And then and maybe in a future series in 2022, I'll get to kind of come back to some of these things in more depth and perhaps get into the millennium reign of Christ as well. But uh, all the visible, discernible signs that Jesus enumerates in the Olive Discourse um, are significant, but his, his outline of the future, there's only one thing he mentions in the whole of Matthew chapter 24 and then part of Matthew chapter 25. There's only one word he mentions specifically related to an end-time sign four times, and it's the word deceive. Jesus is warning us not to be deceived. God never deceives us. He always warns us and tells us the truth. The world delays us and tells us lies. Put it off, put it off, put it off. You can get saved next week. You can get saved next year. You can get saved on your deathbed. How do you know if you're going to get not everyone gets a deathbed, right? That's the way Satan works. But as it relates to the end times, three times it's in conduct, conjunction with deception. He mentions false prophets coming in his name. By the way, in our society, we generally, we think we hate fake stuff. You see it all the time. I, that's not real New York City pizza. 
That's the fake stuff. That's not a Chicago-style pizza. That's a fake one. That's not this. I don't like fake. Those are fake earrings. This is fake. But fake and false are really the same thing. And the reality is, is our society loves fake. We love fake, false Christianity and fake, false notions of what God really is calling us as a people to be. And Jesus is always going to set the record straight. Amen? This is what you need to know. Truth. So the overriding theme at the end of the age is we get closer to the Great Tribulation, which we'll look at next week, and then all the way through the Tribulation, of course, because the greatest deceiving leader the world's ever seen will be in power by then. But the theme will be deception. Deception. Satan is the father of lies. The world is full of lies. Our flesh is actually attracted to lies. We know that certain we know that being rich won't make us happy, and yet people still pursue it night and day, right? We know that. So even the world has written songs about it. Even the world has taught, written poems about it. Romans 1 states our vulnerability to Satan, that the world is under a lie. Um, you know, it wasn't a couple hundred years ago, everyone, at least most everyone, believed that the world was created. But in the last hundred years or so, we've, in, we've convinced several generations that this all just appeared. The universe just banged itself into existence, right? And not only that, created incredibly complex things like eyeballs and limbs and everything else and giraffes and caterpillars and no matter, they look nothing alike. They all came from the exact same thing. It's a fantasy land. But Jesus' more deception is coming. Let's examine for a few minutes what Jesus uh, outlines in what I call the lead-up to the tribulation. We're in the lead-up now. The church has been in the lead-up for the last 2,000 years, but we're getting even closer and closer to the exit sign, if you will. Jesus mentions a very clear and defined list of end-time signs that will be fulfilled and or escalated in the final day's approach. Remember that uh, the end times is the last one-third of human history. Two-thirds has already been completed. Garden to the cross, about 4,000 years. Well, I've got some images of that later. Um, now, with his ascension, Peter made it clear with the ascension of Jesus that the last days began right then. He says on Pentecost, these are the last days spoken by the prophet Joel. And, of course, Pentecost was only 10 days after Jesus' ascension, so we, sent, we understand that the end time, the clock started ticking, really when Jesus rose up out of the grave, but then Peter clarifies it by the time we get to Pentecost. The one possible, if not probable, um, as we look at these um, uh, list of things that Jesus said would take place, I'll put them up on the screen here. Here's the complete list of his Olivet Discourse, uh, we know Jesus' authority is supreme, so he will help us understand more than anybody what's going to take place. He will shed a lot of light on Daniel, on Ezekiel, and later on the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation won't be written until John is banished to the Isle of Patmos at the end of, near the end of his life. But most of these you probably are familiar with. All of them 
in the last 2,000 years, when you look at just as that, look at them in their face value, they've already been fulfilled. So we talked about the, the four different views, preterist and historicist and futurist, and we looked at the different views. Uh, you could, and preterist would say, yeah, I look at this list and all that takes place. Now, first of all, that's fine with this list. It doesn't work with the rest of Matthew 24, and it doesn't work with parts of the rest of the Bible either. But nevertheless, um, yes, everything in this list has taken place with the exception, the possible exception, if not the probable exception, of the last one, that the gospel has gone to every single part of the earth. It's possible that that happened once in the apostolic age, and some people believe that it did, and some people don't believe that. That's fine. Jesus says, then the end will come. So if you want to take exactly the way he said it, it would predicate everyone in the world gets the gospel, then the end can come only after that. But some could say, well, as we'll look at later, there's a repeating pattern that may come into play here as well. That's a powerful statement that the whole world will hear the gospel because the world is getting darker and darker. And I don't know if you know, but we now have 7.9 billion people on earth. We're just a little smidge away from 8 billion people on planet earth. Do you know how many people were on the earth when Jesus spoke this? About 150 million. About 150 million. By AD uh, 100, there's 170 million people on earth. We've gone from the first century of 150 to 170 million to 7.9 billion. You know the law of big numbers? Exponential growth, that's what we are seeing on planet Earth. Uh, but if the gospel's going to make it all the way around the globe, everybody's going to get an opportunity. I don't know about you, but I want to do my part. Amen? I want to do my part. I can't get all around the globe, but I can get around Chesterfield County. I can get on short-term mission trips. I can get uh, online and, and speak into the Internet right now want to do the part that I can do, and you, I know God wants to do your part as well. Now back to the phrase Jesus uses, beginnings of sorrows. Uh, we saw that in verse 8. Jesus calls this period of time, this latter days, but not the tribulation yet, the beginnings of sorrows. He also compares the end times to labor pains. You guys uh, that are ladies, you're not guys anyway, but anyway... But our society is confused about all that, so I digress. But back to the, back to the point. You know, the, if you've gone through a pregnancy, you know that labor pains come and they go. They are intense, and then they subside, and then they come back. And they, but overall, they're not, it's like a stock ticker, they're increasing in intensity as they go, they drop. But overall, they're on a trend line to the place where, get this kid out of me, right? I was there three times. <laughs> she tells me I have no clue what I was eyewitnessing. But anyway. So Jesus compares it to that, but it's not the end. It's the labor pains. It's the beginning of sorrows. And the final days leading up will ramp up. Uh, so what's happening around us right now? We look at this list and say, well, those things have happened. But I said at the outset, if you, whether you heard me or not, I said they've happened and are happening. And just like a labor pain four weeks before pregnancy doesn't mean birth, 
It's still a real labor pain. And as they escalate, you're closer to a final fulfillment. And so these things are happening, but they're happening in an increasing manner. Jesus said it would be exponential. Uh, here's a few glimpses of what's going on around us relative to these terms themselves. Uh, we're now um, like 70-some years removed now from World War II, the last of a massive global war. Uh, but we see the world, uh, I really believe, and I've said this numerous times, uh, we are living in the mid-1930s, but most Americans are completely unaware of it because they are drowning in Netflix and Amazon Prime and Twitter and TV shows and sports and their career and money and lattes and the list goes on and on. And because of all that, they, they don't know that, that modern-day emperors of Japan modern-day Adolf Hitlers, modern-day Genghis Khans, modern-day Napoleons will still rise again as they did in every other point of history, but they will be worse than the previous. Not equal to, they will end up being, when all things get to an end, worse. So we have wars and rumors of wars. While America, you know, doesn't really, we, we got the greatest army on earth, although I could argue that our leadership of our armed forces is suspect in many ways. And I'm not saying just under this current administration. I'm saying over time here, uh, we've lost wisdom along the way. And so without wisdom, people will perish. The Bible makes this clear. But nevertheless, uh, China's buildup is legendary and far more than most people are probably aware. Uh, what's happening around the world, um, whether it be China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, there really is a lot of saber rattling, but it's not just rhetoric. If you follow the things, if you follow the attacks on cyber systems, if you follow what's taking it, hey, let's just kind of take down an oil pipeline, just see how, how America reacts to that. These are all tests. They're not the end game. They're towards the end game. They're escalations of these things. Jesus also says it's not just uh, wars and rumors of wars, but ethnos against ethnos. We have a lot of racial strife now. We have a lot of nations reviving their old rivalries. Well, you're witnessing, whether because most Americans, again, some of you are knowledgeable, so I don't want to speak. If you are, great, but a lot of people are not. A lot of people are unaware that China and Japan have quite a bit of tension growing, quite a bit. This goes back centuries between China and Japan, but it had been calm for a long time. But Japan is actually, some of their language lately is like their old warrior mentality, samurai-sounding, you know? Um, you've got tensions building between India and China, the two largest nations on earth population-wide, and the Kashmir area that they're, they, they've... You've got Taiwan and China. So it goes on and on. So the, actually the Far East and Southeast Asia, all the way up through North Korea, that whole area, is just boiling in different areas. All you would need to throw is one match in and it would light up like you've never seen before. So all of this is, but the ethnicities, the, the Japanese people are not the exact same as the Chinese people, although you go far enough back, we're all related, by the way. Right, right. Do you know that? Right. You're all real family, whether you like it or not. And families don't like each other a lot of times. And so Jesus says, 
ethnos against ethno, tribe against tribe, people group against people group. They will reclaim their identities, and they'll be, no, we are more superior. No, we're more superior. And it'll, it'll be ethnicities, it'll be races, it will be nations, it'll be languages. Until next week, one guy is going to say, I can unify you all. Every political campaign is about unity, and then the next four years, it's opposite in our country. Other things. Famine. Plenty of famines listed in the Bible. Plenty of famines down through history. Here we have all the technology in the world, and we can't solve famines. As a matter of fact, more people are starving now than at any time. Raw numbers in human history. Famine continues to happen. And we have other things like just you might have saw just a couple of years ago the, the locust swarms that went across Africa and the Middle East and things like that. There's weather patterns. We blame virtually everything lately on climate change, you know, so we've got all of that uh, in play. And, and if you think climate change is bad now, wait till you read the book of Revelation. So uh, uh, the climate gets a lot worse. And you cannot fix it with carbon credits. I'm going to tell you right now. You will not fix it with taxation or anything like that, but uh, that's getting to next week. Uh, sad, the famines are growing. We have, in our lifetime, now, even though things like the Black Plague and the Bubonic Plague uh, killed far more people and far more deadly, I mean, good night, if you got one of the plagues, it was the Black Plague, I believe, you were dead in like 24 hours. Uh, there was no ventilator. There was no, like, keeping you for weeks and all that stuff. It was, like, over. Nevertheless, uh, in our lifetime, this, and the word pestilence literally, literally means plague, and it could also mean pests. Uh, I wouldn't feel any better about mice running all around my house than COVID running around the house. So either one was, is, not, is not enjoyable, and they have that infestation right ha happening in Australia right now. They have a massive mice infestation in part of the country that's just, it's just, it's destroying people's lives. I mean, you can wipe out entire farms. So we've got various kinds of pestilence, not just the the COVID one, but we have the pestilence of heart disease and cancer. Uh, we, cancer, every one of you know people have died of cancer. It is a plague in our lifetime, massive plague. I mean, I've, I've had family members, you have. But this pandemic, the, uh, COVID has shut down. It didn't just touch some nations like others have touched some countries, but not others. This ha has touched every single nation, people group. Everybody has been touched. And that will play into other end times. Some things have to happen to enact bigger changes across a massive scale. Uh, we'll get into that as well. Um, what else here? we got earthquakes. Uh, we're looking at a record-setting year of, of earthquakes above 6.0. Um, Geological Society's aware of it, has been fielding questions from people about it. And as I told you last week, I read one thing, they said that there can't be a big one. There can't be a 9.0 because the fault lines aren't long enough. Um, they might want to read the Bible because God does not care how long the fault lines are. Uh, he can do anything he wants to do. So we have seismic activity, of course, that is escalating. The earth, the Bible says, will groan according to the book of Romans. It will actually groan and quake wanting Jesus to return. The earth's smarter than we are sometimes, by the way. In that, in that sense, it seems to... I know it doesn't really know anything, but God says that it will give these signs. And so we have persecution, as I told the first service. Sadly, for us, this is a slide. For our brothers and sisters around the world, it, their slide would be American prosperity. It would be flipping the script. Um, 
There's more people in raw numbers being persecuted on planet Earth right now than at any time in human history. Uh, we have so many countries that are aggressive against Christianity, whether they be Muslim countries or communist nations, totalitarian dictatorships. Many of them hate Christianity, and we have so many that are suffering, and Jesus said this will escalate right up until the Antichrist himself. Lawlessness, we even have our... Even our media is starting to call lawlessness a biblical term, lawlessness. And, uh, we didn't even use that term, but now they realize that when there's lots of people that are breaking the law, it's not just some law breaking, it's lawlessness. It's like chaos. You've seen some of the video the last couple of years, whether it be rioting or whether it be people just taking, hey, I'm going to take all this stuff right out of the store, and if I get a slap on the wrist, I'll be back on the streets within two hours. So we have a lawlessness and violence growing. We have such a, um, yeah, there's some bad cops for sure out there, but we also have lost respect for authority in this country, and that's what a lawless society, there's no respect for any law, so we see that happening. Now let's shift gears to Daniel, so that's Jesus kind of gives us that, that list, and so I've got to move uh, with some efficiency. Let's shift uh, over to Daniel here. Now I'm not going to go back and read what we read just because I don't have the time. But the prophet Daniel, so again, we're laying the, back to the projector here. That was, we, got the, we got the white sheet. We got another clear sheet. Here comes another clear sheet with little, and we're filling in some blanks here. The prophet Daniel's prophetic revelations and his focus was primarily, Daniel was primarily focused on the nation of Israel. And he even meets the angel that was assigned to the nation of of Israel. But um, he also, Daniel was also given revelation and understanding about the empires and the nations that would seek to oppress Israel, suppress Israel, capture the nation, and ultimately destroy Israel. Because Satan's goal was always to prevent the first coming and second coming of Jesus. He already failed the first time. He works on the second one. The Holocaust was an attempt, in my view, of satanic to obliterate the Jewish race, but God preserved the race, not only preserved the race, but gave them their land back. What Satan's plan, plan backfired, if you will. So Daniel was, un, he was given understanding about the empires that have always seeked to destroy Israel, led by precursors or forerunners to the Antichrist, a man who will have power that no man has ever had in this world. Um, and the precursors are people like Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nero. They're all precursors. They were anti-Jewish people, anti-Israel, anti-God. But when he was given the prophecy related to the 70 weeks, and as I talked about, seven year each week is a seven-year period, so seven times 70... 70 weeks, 490 years determined for Israel. Uh, we also see that there's a gap period from Israel to the time of Christ all the way to the Antichrist, which will not be revealed until the seven-year tribulation. And we call that gap the church age. If you, I know there are some people that are, don't believe in dispensations. Uh, again, they're... I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm friends with brothers in Christ that don't see prophecy the same way. If they're amillennial or postmillennial or 
you know, I don't, I'm non-dispensational or whatever, that's fine. Um, I'm just telling you my theology. And if you look at it from the standpoint of the church age and where the last days would fit, so we have these last 2,000 years from the church perspective. And the reason why we want to put them in the church perspective is Jesus is the same one who also, not only does he give us Matthew 24, but a passage that I did not read, he gives us Revelation chapter 2 and 3. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he speaks to the seven churches of Asia. You can see there's a map up there. Yeah, you see Turkey. That used to be considered Asia. And so he speaks to seven churches there. And there were seven literal churches. And those seven literal churches all had congregations and worship that Jesus examined. And of the seven, he found only two were walking in what he would consider well done, good, and faithful. The other five needed to kind of repent, clean some things up, or they were in danger. So those seven churches were literal. Those seven types of churches still exist. There are churches of Philadelphia right now, not the name Philadelphia, but that brotherly love for the Lord and for one another. There are probably some of the most Philadelphia churches on earth are not in the United States. Some of them might be in the underground church in China, in parts of Africa, in parts of Central America. Now we have some in America here too. We have some churches that are God is using and they are on fire for the Lord and praise God for that. Uh, we want to be a Philadelphia church here. We want to be that. Uh, so they were real seven literal churches, but they also are seven types of churches. We have lukewarm churches all over the planet right now. America has lots of We have as many lukewarm churches as we have Starbucks, and they're about the same. They're growing by the minute, right? So we've got lots of both. And then you have the, the view, and not everybody shares this view. I share it, but I have the view that simultaneously they were seven little churches, seven types of churches, and seven churches ages all at the same time. Make sense? The seven church ages would put us in the last age being the age of the Laodicean, the lukewarm church, the pervasiveness of apostasy. Paul talks about it, and the express, he said in the, in the end times, perilous times will come, and people will heap up for themselves teachers that tell them what they want to hear. And that's where we're at right now, just lots of celebrity pastors. How can I entertain you? How can I make you feel awesome about yourself? How can I tell you that you're going to be a millionaire? And Jesus is saying, and you will be hated and persecuted. Which guy is telling me the truth? But we look at Daniel, we look at Ezekiel, we look at Matthew 24, we look at even Luke's version, we look at Matt, Mark, we look at Revelation. Uh, we look at these different things. If you look at like a Google, a Google Maps or a Bing Maps, many of you have a physical address and you say, I want to see the aerial view, I want to see the roadmap view, and I want to see the street side view. Why? Same address, we want perspective. And the Bible does that. God gives us these different, we're looking at it from the rear of the house, we're looking at it from the front of the house, we're looking at it on top of the roof. And that's what we get with these different views. And that's why I'm putting um, some of these layers up there. So if you see the gap period, that 2,000 years, that is Daniel, if you look at Daniel's 70 weeks, 69 weeks have been completed, and then there's this gap 
waiting for the 70th weeks to still be completed. Well, the 70th week was all about Israel. It says times are determined for your people and the holy city of Jerusalem. If Israel doesn't come back in the land, the 70th week can't happen. But the in-between is the, what we also call, not just the church age, but the age of grace. And as you get to the end, you have the latter end, which Jesus calls the beginning of sorrows. It's the lead-up until, uh, until the Great Tribulation. So these 70 weeks, these seven-year periods, they're critical to our understanding. Uh, the weeks related to Messiah, God's plan to redeem Israel. But the church is hiding in plain sight in that period, which we're in. There's not a temple right there. There's not a temple. I've been to Israel a couple times. There's a dome of the rock. There is no temple there to stop the sacrifices right now. A temple has to be rebuilt, one that's not there now, for that to take place. Now, we see Satan's attempt to thwart God's redemptive plan. Uh, we see that. Um, all throughout this time period. And that's told in the 70 weeks as well, that he's going to try and cut Messiah off. Now, now, Satan, they were rejoicing when they had Jesus crucified. But three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. But the rest of the 70 weeks still has to be complete. There still has to be the false Christ. And Jesus says many false Christs are going to build a crescendo to the man of sin, the Antichrist, the one that will actually say, you know, I am the one that you look to for your salvation. Uh, the way people are already looking to governments to save them from everything. Cradle to grave. I mean, you take care of me. God, you know, we don't need God. But understand that the first 69 weeks are essentially related to the same uh, technology period as well. Now think about it. When Daniel's prophecy is given in the Persian Empire, when Daniel, uh, or, uh, I'm sorry, back when he was under, in Babylon, so he is in the Babylonian Empire. He's given under um, that time period. He's in Babylon. The world, basically, from a technology standpoint, by the time you get to Jesus and the 69th week, the technology is not much different. You have horses pulling things with wheels. Horses pulling things with wheels. You have the same basic weaponry. You have the same basic technology. The Romans come along and, and do some advanced things like aqueducts and bringing fresh water supplies into cities. That's pretty, that, that was amazing stuff. As a matter of fact, some of those aqueducts still work. Uh, if you want to, if, you know, they, they had the, the grade to get the water there. Amazing stuff. But generally speaking, uh, it all remains the same. And there's not really much of a technology advance until you get to about 1500 A.D. Then things start to change after the Middle Ages and you have the Age of Enlightenment and things like that. Um, and then really you see the gradual advances over the next... They're more gradual from like 1500 to 1900. But what happens around the late 1800s and 1900s? The Industrial Age. Everything changes. It's, like, it's just like the world's like this and then all of a sudden it goes like that. Everything changes from a technology standpoint. There's this massive uptick starting in the, in the Industrial Age, which would be the very late 1800s and early 1900s till now. And Daniel is told in advance of this increase in the 12th chapter. We read a different version, chapter 12. Look what it says in 12.4. Uh, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I mean, 
Daniel might have saw airplanes. <laughs> he might have see, seen people just zipping all around the globe. And we've got guys like Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos determined to get us from L.A. to New York in 10 seconds. Just take a little and uh, jump up out into space and right down. Pop. And then people have been working on this well before the Concorde. I remember when I, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. Beltway area, and I was, I was an excited kid. I got to see the Concorde take off from Dulles, and that would get you from New York or Washington, D.C. to London in record, record time. It was like a, uh, what was it, like an hour and a half or two hours? I can't remember what it was. But uh, you're moving at mock speed and all this other stuff. But there's bigger plans to and fro. Now, even if you're not somewhere else, you can be just talking to your friend in another country and you, you're, you're FaceTiming each other and, and, what, and your apps are you're changing the language. We've got our own Tower of Babel going in our lifetime. But when you study the Bible, you see where prophecy and time and the past, they all intersect. They all kind of come together. And as I mentioned, the Olivet prophecies have been fulfilled, but they are being fulfilled. And I put this chart together. I hope it makes sense to you. Uh, biblical prophecy happens on a recurring pattern. Let me give you a, a, a very tangible example. God calls a man called Abraham from ancient Babylon. Before Babylon was known as anything, ironically, he brings him from Babylon to Jerusalem. Guess where Israel later will come from? From Babylon to Jerusalem. But then he brings Abraham into the land of Canaan. And he brings him to a city called Salem, which later becomes Jerusalem. Salem was the original name, and it becomes Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And then he has a descendant, Isaac, who brings his son, uh, no, Abraham brings his son Isaac to Mount Moriah, which is in Jerusalem. And Isaac is laid down on an altar, like he's going to be cruised, like he's going to be killed, which is foreshadowing. Jesus is going to come to that city. But even before Jesus gets there, David comes and takes the city for the Lord and calls it the city of David, which is still called to, to this very day. It's still called the city of David. And then David is in the bloodline of Jesus, who will then follow Abraham and Isaac and David to the city of Jerusalem and lay himself down exactly like Isaac. So prophecy, the same city of Jerusalem keeps coming back but it comes with a new fulfillment each time. And so there's more to come with Jerusalem. And the Antichrist wants to secure it and thwart the final where Jesus will put his throne in Jerusalem. So again, prophecy moves on a, on a timeline. Now, if you look at the bottom line, that's world history. The first 4,000 years were from the Garden of Eden to the cross. And the cross, of course, 40 days later, is Jesus' ascension. Ten days after that is Pentecost. So within 50 days, penta means 50. So you have the 50 days from the cross. That's all one little sliver of time. Within 40 years later, the temple is destroyed. So that little sliver of time, 40 years late, less than 40 years later, the temple is destroyed in AD 70. Then you have the last third of world history, which is our time period. And that little yellow sliver there, let's call that 1900 till now. And that little time from 1900 till now, all the world's technologies have changed exponentially, right? Exponentially. If you ask someone in 1900 what a server is, 
they would think you're talking about a person who served. Yes, everyone, oh, I know, server. Amazon's got tons of them. Uh, Apple's got tons of them. Microsoft has tons of servers and data warehouses and massive cloud storage, and everyone can be tracked to the exact GPS coordinate of where they're at. Everyone in the NSA knows we're all sitting here right now. They know exactly which seat you're in if they want to, right down to the, all that technology in a short period of time. So you have prophecy builds to a crescendo, but the world is building to a crescendo, and a fast one, and it's accelerating. The world population, at that time, Jesus, 170 million, 7.9 billion now. Ironically, the world can control 7.9 billion people easier now than the world can control 170 million then. Isn't that interesting? Because now we have everyone has technology. Everyone has technology. I've worked in high tech for you know, 14, 15 years, and I'm very familiar with, I remember hearing in the late 1990s that everyone will have a cell phone, and once everyone has a cell phone, things can be done that could never be done before. I remember hearing it at trade shows that I would go to and speeches that I would listen to, and it was, it was well understood that we had to get to that, that everybody had that electronic in their hands. So that's where we're at, and we're in those last of the last days. Well, it's like the two-minute warning for you football fans today, the two-minute warning. We're in that last part of that dotted line. And Israel becomes a nation, by the way, in that last little yellow sliver. Israel's reborn in the land. With our last remaining minutes, projector, clear slide number three over here. Here comes Ezekiel. We'll slap Ezekiel's on top of the old projector. And a question to you all. You know, I like to ask these questions, so they're somewhat rhetorical, but we have a lot of new people, so learn along with us. Are the end times, is a question for all of us, a multi uh, multi-point question. Are the end times related to God's plan for the church or the saving of souls or the judgment of the world or to complete the plan for Israel or the redemption of Israel? Yes. yes. Right, right. <laughs> you guys are doing great. It, all of those things, all of those things, you and I can't hit one target with one arrow and God hits them all. There's a plan for all of these things. And how it is a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, and I'll be the first to admit that a lot of it, again, remains a mystery. We'll talk about the mystery with the, with the rapture as well. But um, when we watch and understand these final days leading up to the seven-year tribulation, remember, because all these things are working in concert, another name for the tribulation, when we get to that 70th week, it's also called the time of Jacob's trouble. So there's a very specific uh, focus that God has, to, a work to do in Israel, a sanctification of Israel that will take place as we look at that next week. But the point is, no matter what, whether it's the 70-week prophecy, whether it's Jeremiah saying time of Jacob's trouble, whether it's Jesus referring to when you see Jerusalem surrounded, here's the thing. Israel is like a compass to end times understanding. Israel is like a true north. When, you, when you're off your bearings, you say, man, it looks like everything's going to go down and it's all going to happen in Mexico City. No. Or it's all going to happen in New York City because that's where the United Nations is and that must be the, 
That must be the epicenter of the world. It has to be New York. I mean, it's got Times Square. New York has actually been reduced just in the pandemic. I mean, everyone wanted to be there for the Today Show. Now everyone's like, I don't know. Let's go to the mountains. Let's go to the beach. You know, you know, I don't feel like being uh, robbed on the subway this year. So I think I'll stay right where I'm at. But whatever it may be, Israel is the centerpiece. Jesus made this clear. And he said later in chapter 24, we didn't read that far, but I'm just going ahead uh, to a different verse in the Olive Discourse. He said, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has become already tender and it puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Jesus said, if you can look at agriculture, you're going to know when summer is close by by looking at, oh, those leaves have returned. They, they, they're not little buds. They're bright green now. And Israel has a lot of leaves, but God wants to see the nation of Israel have fruit. He wants to see them bud. You may recall that Jesus cursed a fig tree this same week that he did the Olivet Discourse. He was walking back to the Mount of Olives, and he cursed a fig tree. And why did he curse the fig tree? Because it had no fruit. He had leaves, but he was speaking to the heart of the nation. Remember, the Pharisees hated him, and the scribes, the religious leaders, and they had no spiritual fruit, and they were dry as bones, and he cursed the fig tree. We understand that Israel, is the fig tree is symbolic. It's a symbolic representation of the nation. It's in, on other, in other places, but here in Hosea 9.10, he uh, says specifically, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness, I saw your fathers as the first fruits. The fathers being Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. They're the first fruits. And the fig tree in its season, God saw the nation as a fig tree. So Israel, if Israel is the fig tree, and it is, Ezekiel gives us a critical view of understanding some of that Israel, that North Star, uh, true North understanding. We know when Israel was reborn. We already mentioned it last week and again a couple times this morning although it's now this afternoon, um, 1948, May 14, 1948, Israel re-became a nation in large part due to the Holocaust and the piles of bones and ashes. God breathed life into a nation. And out of the ashes, we use this term, by the way, we're very familiar with the term out of the ashes. We can use it out of, as a civil work term. We can use it out of other wars, out of the ashes, London is reborn. I mean, we understand this term, but Israel, literally out of the ashes of a Holocaust, becomes a nation in large part, not only that, but it, was, it had a big uh, key to that. How's Israel been doing since 1948? Well, in a word, amazing. If you've been there, it's unbelievable. It's unprecedented in world history what one tiny little strip of land, which has I want to say 13 microclimates, uh, has done in this amount of time uh, to turn a land that was nothing but desert, nothing but swamp land, nothing but what people would consider worthless real estate. That's not the case now. Israel has turned it into the breadbasket of the Middle East, and not just the Middle East, they ship flowers all the way all over Europe and almonds and you name it, uh, tons of fruits, uh, a couple of uh, facts you may I may not be aware of, Israel is the only nation that used a previously dead language for the entire nation. Uh, they brought the Hebrew language back. Uh, they had to rebuild the language from scratch, but they brought back a dead language. The only nation on earth uh, like this, the only democracy in the Middle East, I'm sure the other countries, especially the women in the Middle East, are saying, please, we would love to have Israel's uh, form of government. Not that Israel's perfect. It's got plenty of issues, and that's why they still need their Messiah. 
they have the highest ratio of uh, university degrees to population uh, in the world. Um, highest density of company startups. I mean, it's like a Silicon Valley. Uh, it's Silicon Valley and Israel. They're like one and one A. Um, you first antivirus software, first voice over IP, which all of you use on your phones now, whether you realize it or not. A pioneer in smart drip irrigation, which actually saves thousands upon thousands of gallons for every farmer on earth that uses it now. Um, they export eight different species of biological control agents plus pollinating bees to 32 nations. One of the first, one of the few countries in the world that began the 21st century with uh, more trees than it had in 1990. Israel now has more trees than it had in 1990. That's not the case. Most countries are bewailing. We're, our trees are, you know, we have less and less. Israel produces 93% of its own food requirement. They can seal the border and be just fine. They actually have all their own food supplies. Israel's average annual milk production per cow is the highest in the world. It literally is the land of milk and honey. They export bees and they produce more milk per cow than any nation on earth. When God said milk and honey, yes, it was metaphoric, and yes, it was also literal at the exact same time. Uh, they used to not have any energy supply, but that's been fixed because in the last decade or so, they have Leviathan, the, one of the largest natural gas reserves on planet Earth now, and they have discovered oil as well, all in my lifetime. I've seen every one of these things come to pass, in my, except for the formation of the country in 1948, but all the rest of it. So, uh, in addition to being hated by many enemies, and they're still, a, Israel's becoming a treasure that if there was a great pestilence and a great famine, and they continue to flourish, they would even be more attractive to their enemies. And they have some serious enemies right now. Did you know that? Turn with me real quick. Ezekiel 38. i got to put this in overdrive and finish up with Ezekiel 38 um, because I believe that this is something that can happen here in the last days, the beginning of sorrows. It could happen in our lifetime. Everything is set up for this. In Ezekiel 38, we're told of a confederacy that has never, this confederacy has never attacked Israel in the past, so it has to be one in the future. There's, no, there's nothing to compare it to. There's no prior history of something of this event. It's uniquely written. It hasn't taken place. Um, but I can't read the whole thing, but what I can read, let's just start in verse 1 of Ezekiel 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog. Gog is a title. Um, like Fuhrer was a title for Hitler. Uh, Caesar is a title. Gog is a title of the land of Magog. So Magog is a country. The prince of Rosh, Meshach, and many of us believe Rosh is directly related to Russia, Meshach directly related to Moscow, Tubal, which is primarily um, areas um, from Turkey and up through the northern areas there. Uh, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, and Meshech, and Tabal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaw, lead you out with your armies and your horses and horsemen, and splendidly clothed in a great company of bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them. See, there's the confederacy of other nations, uh, and they're named. All of them with their shield and their helmet. Gomer, which is Turkey, uh, or the, the area above Turkey, like uh, uh, that Georgia area, all that area. The house of Tagarma, which is also all that Turkey had a wide swath there. From the north part, all of its troops, many are with you. Prepare yourselves and be ready. 
you and your companies that are gathered together and be guard on uh, guard for them. After many days, you'll be visited in the latter days, which again would be the end, begin a sorrow time period, or maybe even the early part of the tribulation. But I still think it's the latter days. You'll be brought back with a sword and gathered from many people uh, um, on the mountains of Israel, which has long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now they dwell safely, which would be just like right now. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud. You and all your troops and many peoples with you shall be on that day that, that shall come to pass. That the thought will arise in your mind. You will make an evil plan. You will say, we will go up against a land with unwalled villages, which is the way Israel is today, to peaceful people. Dwelling safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates take plunder. Israel uh, is so much wealthier per capita than anywhere else in that part of the world. Take your hand against the waste places that are inhabited. Long story short, um, it goes in verse 13. Some nations see this taking place, and they're looking on and say, what, what are you doing? Sheba, which is Saudi Arabia, Dedan, which is the Arabian Peninsula, and the merchants of Tarshish. And that, I believe definitively to be England, you would go through the Straits of Gibraltar and up where there was tin, tin mining in England. And of course the Roman Empire went out right to the middle, almost the middle line of England and this is well before then when the merchants of Tarshish would come in the days of Solomon and bring tin and things. And now even in our lifetime, the last few years, they actually have found that the tin that was used in those periods is from England. And so Tarshish and the Young Lions would, the Young Lions, of course, England, uh, under the British Empire, the lion was the, was the symbol of the monarchy, still is. If you go to London, you'll see the lion all over. And uh, the Young Lions would be Canada, the United States, New Zealand, Australia. But at some reason, when this attack from the north, and if you draw a straight line from Jerusalem, go straight up north, you, you've practically hit Moscow dead on. You just barely, it's like, they're almost a straight line. They're not a complete, that's close, but straight up you're in the Moscow greater metropolitan area, if you will. And so if they come down from the north, it seems like these other countries are looking on like Tarshish and the young lion saying, what are you doing? What are you, what? But they seem to be held at bay. And if the world was preoccupied, let's say, with China and Taiwan, things could get moving. And eventually things would settle down, and once they settle down, because it says it's at a time of peace, the Bible also says they'll say peace, peace, when there is no peace. So there'll be laws here. You'll actually be lulled back to sleep. Everything's back to normal. The Super Bowl's on schedule. Everyone's got you know, everything. And meanwhile, the world's empires are still moving their chess pieces. So if they do come against Israel, uh, what could be involved? Well, I do believe that it is from the area of Russia. Um, I've I was fascinated when I first time I went to Israel and I saw where Vladimir Putin had been meeting in Israel like the year before I got there and they had pictures of him meeting in the King David Hotel and all this stuff. And so, but Russia, um, even right now, this, this hypersonic missile that they're uh, hoping to arm their submarines with soon, uh, their end goal is if they arm these submarines, they, really they want to be able to hold America's entire naval fleet at bay and create a significant buffer zone that they could actually take out entire segments of our fleet if they needed to, um, arming the nuclear submarines. Um, submarines are hard to find. <laughs> they, you don't know where they're at. You don't know where they're going to pop up. And so that's a big goal that they are working on. Of course, Russia is working directly with Iran, has been for quite some time. 
North Korea, but also some of the countries that are mentioned as well, Libya and others. Um, this is not new information. Israel, on the other hand, they're constantly aware of Iran. They have gone over there a number of times and actually used uh, you know, computer viruses and things like that to knock out the nuclear systems in Iran. Israel is the fig tree uh, that's been planted there. Iran would love to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That's their stated goal, by the way. This isn't like, uh, I know that most people don't think about it, but that, that's a stated goal there is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They fund Hezbollah up in, up in Lebanon and all that good stuff. So then where does America, if, if Sheba, which, uh, or if Tarshish is the lead, um, America's not even mentioned specifically, although it could be one of the young lions, uh, does America fade in our lifetime? Well, I could argue that we are fading now, and these are all unsaved people articles that I'm aware of. They think we're fading. I mean, the people on the world stage are thinking, you know, um, England just condemned our, how we, uh, par English Parliament condemned America's pulling out of Afghanistan in the way we did. And so post 9-11, a lot of the world's look at, world looks at us as a weaker country. A European Union has recently said, hey, we should build our own army because we can't really trust America. So a lot of things are taking place, and we're just at the beginning stages. But these things could escalate fast. I mean, these things could move rather quickly. But all of this, as we come to a close here, um, everything that we see, Jesus says to be aware of these things. These things are happening fast. They could happen much faster. You could wake up and ten dominoes fall while you're asleep one night. Literally. Jesus could also return. We'll get to that with the rapture. That would be great. But how's our response been to global pandemic and everything else? A survey in the Joshua Fund uh, in 2020 found that 44% saw the pandemic as a wake-up call from God. 44% saw the pandemic as a wake-up call from God. 29% saw it as evidence of the biblical last days. But has one-third or up to one-half of our, our, our country responded like we're in the last days? No. No. We hit the, alarm, we hit the snooze button just like after 9-11. We just keep hitting the snooze button mostly asleep. But how should we respond? How should we respond? We should have a watchful expectation that Jesus is near. We should be serving him. Jesus himself said in same Matthew 24, see also when you see these things, know that it is near, is at the door. If Jesus is going to come to me, I want to be ready. How about you? I want to be watching. I want to be waiting. I want to be, as Peter says, found diligent. Diligent. Doing the things that he's asked me to do, not the things that I feel like doing, but what he's asked me to do. Brother and sister, all of this should cause us to want to be doing the work of the Lord, doing it with the peace of our Lord as we wait and watch for the Lord. Amen? Why don't you stand as we close in prayer? We're not going to have a closing worship. I, I forewarned the team. I said I got a lot to jam in in a short period of time, and I can't keep people here all day. But I hope that this has been, I know it's been drinking out of a fire hose. Um, <laughs> I felt the same way studying all week. I'm like, I, you should see how much is on the cutting room floor. A lot. A lot can't even make it into this amount of time. Uh, which tells you how amazing Jesus is. He does the Olivet Discourse and gives it. That's what you got, guys. That's what he told them. He didn't give them any follow-up. He said, now you get to study this. While I go back to heaven, you get to dig into everything I said. And that's what we're doing here. And I hope the Lord is, again... Not scaring you, that's what the world wants to do. The world wants to make you petrified. 
Our governments rule by fear. They want you in fear. And Jesus wants you in faith. Amen? Amen? In faith. Ruled by faith. And with faith comes peace. And if all this stuff happens, and it will, you just know Jesus is on the winning side. He is the winning side. He has it all in his hands. And so we want to be in his hands with these things in his hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time, this morning. Lord, it's a lot, but Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see these things and understand them the wisest, Daniel said, would understand. But Lord, that understanding would cause us to draw nearer to you, to love you more, to abide in you. And Lord, that we would be fruitful in a world that's growing cold and the love of many is growing cold. But Lord, we would not. We would be growing in grace. And that this gospel, which must circle the whole globe and then the end would come, we would be excited to get the gospel to the end of the world. That just means we're hastening your return, as the scriptures say. And Lord, we just, I just pray that each person here uh, will grow in your grace if they don't know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, they'd come forward even after this service and ask us. We'd love to lead them to the real Messiah, the true and living Savior, Lord, who is going to come back for us very soon. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. We do have a children's, you know, the fall.